Lord, would you help us as we come to your word? Would you help us to understand what it means to share our story, to share our story to others on the same journey, and to share our story on those not yet joining the journey. Be with us now. Make these moments count, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, final Sunday, 40 days of community starts uh, next week. If you've missed some of uh, this series, it's all up there on the web for you to catch up with if you want to. Uh, A series at the beginning of our year, when the church text says go, go and tell all that the Lord has done for you. Your story, my story, his story. And we've seen how our story makes the connection between people's story and God's story. Our story helps their story connect with his story. But before we share our story, we've heard over these last weeks of the need to know God's story. Without God's story, we don't have a story of our own. But having known and discovered God's story, we need to listen to their story in order that we might understand how best to share our story. And it's my earnest prayer that over these Sundays, when we've thought about these things, that we will go from this moment to become tellers of our stories. It's easy for us to talk about it in church. I know, I understand that. And I know that it's easy for us to to, to create nice little diagrams and thoughts and alliterations about what we need to do. But when we get out there, it's hard. I understand that. But my prayer is for you and for one another in our small groups and when we meet, that this would be a place that really, really encourages and empowers us to get our stories out there. That many lost people might be found and that blind people might discover sight. So now we get to uh, the crunch of sharing my story. And that you should feel relaxed and encouraged because many of you over these last week or so have been working on your story in your small groups. And I was thrilled to hear from many of the small groups about how, how your evening went of sharing some of your story with others within your group. St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel and use words if you have to. I know what he meant, but we do have to. If anyone's life was so great that he didn't need to use any words, his life was such a perfect example of the gospel story, then that life was Jesus. But Jesus used words all of the time, and so must we. The question is, what kind of words? What is the best thing to say, the best way to seize an open door of opportunity? When after loving and listening, the door of opportunity opens wide, what should we say? Well, I'm suggesting, as you know, that when you get an open door, probably the best thing you can do at the beginning is to share your story. Now, I know that your story is not everything someone will need to know before they can make a decision for Jesus Christ. Far from it. There are lots of other things they will need to know about the truth in order for them to make a decision for Christ. But where do you begin 
you begin with your story. And we see this many times as we've uh, noted uh, some of these verses we've had before, some of them are new. We remember how the Samaritan woman went back to her village and she told her story. And the Bible says that it was her testimony that made the connection that helped many other people believe. Uh, In a little while we're going to look in John chapter 9 at the blind man. And he discovered how powerful his story was. So he just kept saying, I was blind but now I see. And we can see how that made an important connection. Our church text says, go, go home to your family or to your friends, not with an evangelistic sermon or with an apologetic homily, but go and share your story about what God has done in your life. Certainly the early church understood the strategic importance of storytelling. And that one example of several in Acts, of when Paul, or two in Acts and some elsewhere, when Paul tells his story. It's surprising because in the context when the church is growing rapidly and there is much fruit, many people are coming to Christ, Paul, the most significant mover and shaker in the early church uh, at that time, And we're not told much about what he preaches, but we are given insight into what he says at significant moments. And at some very significant moments, Paul is given the opportunity to address the people. And if you know anything about Paul from from the letters that he's written, you expect Paul to give a very strong apologetic defense of the Christian faith. He is brilliant at doing it. Read Romans. He can explain the Christian faith better than all of us put together. He can do it with his eyes shut, standing on his head. Yet, at those most strategic moments that he gets, he chooses not to talk in highfalutin, apologetic terms, but simply to tell his story. Suggest that he understood that, yes, there is very important time to defend the faith. There is very important times to argue and to debate, but very unique. And very powerful is the opportunity simply to tell your story. And that's what he did. This gifted, educated man who could argue the faith with his eyes shut told his story. And I guess that's just the way it was. Because Peter and John said, well, we can't help ourselves. We just have to speak about what we have seen and heard. Why though? Why this emphasis on storytelling? Well, you might like to turn to John chapter 9 in the Bibles in front of you. And uh, 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 we're going to look at it together, page 1075. And uh, we're going to refer to this uh, for a little while. So John chapter 9, Jesus uh, heals a blind man. The interesting thing about this is that, uh, uh, it's not interesting, it's sad. The religious people are cross that this man's got healed. You know, you can always tell when you're religious when you start getting up at you about what God is doing. And God heals this man in a wonderful way and it sent these religious people into a right set spin about all their rules and goodness knows what. And as the story unfolds, these religious types are getting more and more annoyed. And eventually they're getting really desperate. And the reason they're getting desperate is verse 32. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. In their culture, if a man recovered his sight, he lost it in life and then recovered it, well, that was okay. But if you helped someone gain sight that they had never had, that they had had since birth, well, that was truly divine. So if Jesus really did open the eyes of a man born blind, wow, that was quite something indeed. 
So it sends them in a right set spin. And they don't believe him. In fact, they can't believe him if they're to maintain that Jesus is simply a madman. And so they go off and they get this man's parents and they say, is this really your son? We're not sure now whether that really is the man that was born blind. We think he's somebody else. They go and get the parents and they check it out that way and that leads to nowhere. And uh, we pick it up again at verse 24. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind and said, give glory to God, tell the truth in other words. We know this man is a sinner, so we're not sure about your testimony. And then the man replies, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That's his story. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. I was blind, but now I see. They want a theological debate. That's what verse 24 is really all about, about whether he was a sinner and whether he can give glory to God. They want a theological debate. The bloke says, hey, that's not my skill. I can't do some great deep theological debating, but here, listen to my story. I was blind, but now I see you deal with that. Deal with it. That's essentially what this man's saying. Hey, hey, that's my story. You deal with it. And they can't deal with it. So they ask him again, but he sticks with his story. The blind man realizes now what many Christians have failed to realize, and that's the power of your story. He is bringing all the religious leaders to their knees through the power of his story. So he starts joking with them, uh, verse 27. He answered, I told you already and you did not listen. And he mocks them. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Ha, ha, ha. It's a funny. It's a joke. And they're just getting mad. So they hurled insults at him. And he knew the power of his story. So again they go on about, well, let's have a theological debate. And they start talking about Moses and stuff. And the blind man goes, well, I don't know about Moses. I'm not into some great theological uh, uh, debate. I haven't been theologically trained. So he just keeps with his story and he pokes fun at them again. The man answered in reply to, do you want a theological debate about Moses? No, not exactly. That's remarkable, the man says to these religious leaders. You don't know where he, that's Jesus, comes from, yet he opened my eyes. He just keeps telling his story. I was blind, but now I see you deal with that. And of course they couldn't. They couldn't. So they threw him out. The power of your story. And that's what happened. The power of your story because it can't be argued with. Your story has power because it cannot be denied or argued with. And because they couldn't deny it or argue with it, they threw him out. And that didn't end very nicely, I understand that. But when those men went to the quietness of their homes that night, and when their heads were hitting the pillow, and when they were drifting off to sleep, they knew that a blind, uneducated man had got them. And they must have begun to wonder, unless their hearts, their hearts were so hard, they must have begun to wonder, maybe in this man Jesus there is something more than we have understood. Your story is compelling because it can't be argued with. Your story is powerful, secondly, because it's uh, personal. It's personal. This guy's going, look, I can see. Try me. How many fingers have I got up? Look, five, three, two, one. He he said, look, it's me. This is not a story about something, uh, it's not theory about God, it's not uh, something that perhaps happened a, a long time ago with different people. This is me. And you will know that the most compelling adverts are personal testimonies. 
That's why advertisers use people, sometimes celebrities or ordinary people, to say that their product is good, reliable, trustworthy, or whatever it is. It's why books that you read are covered on the inside flip and on the back page with people saying something about the book. Because we all know the power of other people's story. We don't want to know whether the author thinks it's a good book or whether the publisher thinks it's a good book, but we do want to know whether somebody else thinks it's a a good book. The Daz Test. An ordinary mum in an ordinary street saying it gets my whites whiter than white is much more compelling than the chief executive of Daz saying, hey, of course, ah, whitener gets your whites whiter than white. But even more compelling than either of those, because we're suspicious all the time of media manipulation, we can't quite believe that the ordinary mum really is an ordinary mum, and if she is an ordinary mum, is she an ordinary mum just like me? Even more compelling is if someone you know and love, someone who's like you, someone who lives the same kind of life that you live, goes, hey, have you tried that? It made my whites whiter than white. That's the most compelling communication. When someone that you can relate to, when someone that you know, you love, that that lives just like you, says, hey, have you tried this? And so with this blind man, he's not saying, let me tell you of someone else that Jesus healed a long time ago or in a different place. But hey, it's me. I'm 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 the man that you've seen last week, the week before. You know my parents. You know my family. I lived here. I was born here. You know me. Hey, I was blind, but now I see. Deal with it. And of course they can't. That's the power of your story. And thirdly, the power of your story is that you are an expert in your story. Obviously the best person to talk to about what it was to be blind and then to see was the man who was blind but now sees. And the best person to talk to about the difference God makes in your life is... Okay, that was not the million pound question on who wants to be a millionaire. You see, sometimes we don't say anything because we think, well, I, I, I'm not an expert. In fact, people say to me all of the time, I'm not an, I can't tell I'm not an expert. We don't know the subject well enough. We're not sure if we can remember all the proofs about the resurrection. No, tell your story because you are an expert in your story. I don't know your story better than you, do I? Who knows your story better than you? Except your wife. But even then they don't, actually. Nobody knows your story better than you. You are an expert in your story. You can tell your story openly and with confidence because it's your story. And this guy's going, hey, it's me, the blind man. It's me. I I was blind. Look, I couldn't see. Now five fingers. Here we go. His story. He was an expert in his story. And so he didn't try to have the theological debate, which is what we might have done. He didn't try and talk about what he didn't know. He just shared what he did know. And it was incredibly powerful. Fourthly, the power of your story is that it's real and authentic. You see, there's little authenticity today, is there? It's all image and emotion. It's sort of uh, uh, a superficial emotion. There's little that's genuine and real that can be prodded and poked that you can touch and feel and smell and hear. When you share your story with people you know and love, they can feel it, touch it, smell it. You don't understand what I mean. Here was this man saying, hey, I'm not pretending to be another guy. You know me. 
this is really me. Something genuine. And when it comes to your story, you are that guy and you are that girl. Nobody can be more genuine about your story than you. And that has power when it's all spin and superficiality. And then the power of your story is it answers the question people are most asking. They were asking those religious leaders, well, in fact, they'd asked the question and already made up their mind. They were asking, is this Jesus for real? No. No, they decided. The blind man's story, though, answered that question. Because no one can open the eyes of a man born blind. But this man just had opened the eyes of a man born blind. Therefore, in their culture, in their understanding, if someone could open the eyes of a man born blind, then he must in some way be divine. His story was answering the question these people were asking and thought they knew the answer to, but didn't. Your story, in different ways today, answers the question that people are asking. They're not asking, is it true? So even though you might have a brilliant answer to that question, it will not make any connection, but they are asking the question, does it work? And your story is the best answer. Imagine you're finding out about a new diet. Let's talk about something none of us know about. Okay? A new diet. Imagine you've got a friend who's thinking about a new diet. Your friend will not spend hours learning all about the new diet, and they will not spend a lot of money on expensive books with recipes that go along with this diet in it, and they certainly will not start on this diet until they've answered one question. What's the question? Does it work? Does it work? And we can tell people anything we like. But until we've helped them understand that it might just work, whoa, not interested, whoa. Lights are on, nobody's at home. Does it work? So what actually is my story? My story is all about answering the question, does it work? If that's the question we're trying to answer, if that's what makes the connection with people, then that's where we need to start. So your story needs to major on the difference God makes. Your story needs to be about the saint's life, that's you, you're a saint, rather than the sinner's prayer. Don't tell them how you became a Christian 30 years ago. They could not care how you became a Christian 30 years ago. But they might one day care if they know that 30 years later, it still works. Your story is the difference God makes in your life right now. And if I'm trying to make the connection, then I need to listen carefully to see what kind of story will make that connection. Because actually here in this room this morning, there are thousands of stories about God. Thousands of stories here. And we need to choose the story that is most likely to make the best connection. You see, if I'm trying to make a connection with somebody who is really sick, my story of God's provision in a time of financial crisis However brilliant that story is, won't make any connection at all. That's not where they are. If last week my Buddhist friend was struggling not with death, but with the sudden breakup of his marriage, my assurance to him that I'm confident every day that when I die I'm going to heaven just wouldn't have cut it. No connection. It's the right story at the right time. That's why listening is the key. And there are just loads of stories 
here in this place, how trusting Jesus has helped me deal with worries and anxieties, guilt and shame, anger and temper, emptiness, lack of purpose, grief, stress, low self-esteem. I've heard all those stories in this place. And there's so many more stories that we can and should keep telling one with uh, another. And my PowerPoint's died. Poor health, disappointment, insecurity. I think I had emptiness before, but regrets, fears, loneliness, lack of emotional support. All of these are here in this room. Stories that we could tell of how trusting Jesus has helped us deal uh, with them. And so it goes on. Habits, addictions, self-centeredness, despair, help with depression, boredom in life, seems so pointless, fear of death, something missing, bitterness, stuff I can't deal with. How trusting Jesus has helped me deal with those things. And I think there's one more slide. It's just to illustrate, there are just so many stories that we could tell. Resentment, pain of rejection, past hurts, marriage difficulties, financial difficulties, work difficulties, loss. How trusting Jesus has helped us in different ways to deal with those things. And if there aren't enough stories there for us to choose from, then we can tell stories about how trusting Jesus has given me peace and how he's given me forgiveness. I don't, I don't wake up with that dread anymore. I've been given a fresh start. He's given me patience and love and purpose and comfort and joy. How trusting Jesus has given me the things that I need to live this life the way it feels God intended me to live it. New energy, power, significance, strength, trust, confidence, a second chance, assurance. How trusting Jesus has given me his presence. How I've got a church family. Someone said this week, I've been amazed by my church family. The power to change, love for others, hope, adventure, fulfillment, positive change for the whole of life. You see, there are thousands of stories, aren't there, in our room this morning? Hello? You see, in the right story, at the right time, unleashes the power of God. So telling your story. A few top tips in about two minutes, okay? So we come to the end. Are you going to do it? You're going to risk telling your story with someone? Oh, no, okay. That's that's been been kind of a waste of time the last four weeks then, isn't it? In in product output terms, that's pretty low. I have to assess the strategy for the next series. Okay, telling your story. Uh, I hope you are. You've got to keep it ready. You'll only keep it ready by working on it. That's why we got you to work on a bit of your story for your small group uh, 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 groups. Unless you have stories ready, you're not going to be able to draw on them in order to uh, communicate it at the right time. Prepare several stories. This week, people have said to me, I didn't tell that story in my small group because they've heard it. Perhaps I told this one. Have your armour of stories, so to speak, in your armour. Keep it short and focused. Don't get sidetracked with irrelevant details. It's amazing how easy that is. We go, um, well, it all started in 1975. No, 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 I think it was 1976. Marjorie, was it 1970? No, yeah, 1976, that was when it was hot. It started, no, 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 it couldn't have been. It must have been 1977. Right, what's happened? Well, they've gone, man, they're out of there. Okay, you, don't go for the detail. Nobody's interested in uh, the details. You've blown it. And don't answer questions they're just not asking, even if you think they should ask those questions, because those questions are really good. Just keep it focused, keep it short, keep it connected. If you've been hijacked by a terrorist, don't tell that story a lot in this context. Because most people haven't been hijacked by a terrorist. And it doesn't make that connection with them. Hello, you tracking? 
You know, talk about ordinary experience stuff. Now, if you went to Brazil on mission and you met God in a fantastic way, that's a great story to tell, but don't keep telling that story to unbelievers. They want to know whether God is fantastic and real in Ipswich, not in Brazil. They're not in Brazil. They might never go to Brazil. So keep it connected. Keep it focused. Keep it ready. Keep it connected. Keep it honest. Don't lie. Don't exaggerate. Just be real. Honesty really is attractive. Uh, and don't over-egg your previous life. People go, I haven't got a story to tell because I wasn't really bad in my previous life. And you, you're so tempted when you're sharing Jesus with a drug dealer to say, yeah, I know, I put aspirin in a Coke once. You, know, you don't need to over-egg it. Just be who you are. God made you who you are. It's authentic, it's real, it's genuine. People will be blessed by that. And the more open and honest you are, the more open and honest they will be. And the more open and honest they are, the wider the door of opportunity will open. Keep it positive. Don't, don't, don't say bad things about another church, even if it's true. Don't say bad things about this church, even if it's true. Tell me about bad things in this church, but don't tell them. Don't say bad things about other Christians. Don't say bad things about other religions. You can argue about the facts, but don't, 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 don't get at people. Don't be negative. Don't, and keep it clear. You know, don't use the churchy words. And even, and even words that you think aren't churchy. Think, do I hear this word in any other place other than church and in my small group? And if you don't, don't use it. Get rid of all the churchy words. Because we want it to be clear. So, hey, will you go and tell your story? Will you go and tell how much the Lord has done for you. When this guy went and told, all the people were amazed. And they'll still be amazed. Let's sing together about the cross and the wonder of it all. Because if, if they begin to be amazed by your story, when they understand God's story, they will be exceedingly amazed. He chose the cross, lost in wonder. Let's sing together.